ignorance spent only a few hours in the land of Be'ulah before moving on. Just as he preferred to travel alone, he did not enjoy being in the midst of large groups of people, especially those caught up in a religious fervor. Instead, he made his way south and east through pleasant grasslands until he arrived at an imposing river, as far as he could tell the final obstacle between himself and the celestial city. He camped there for two nights, until the food he'd nicked from the big party ran out. Then Ignorance followed the river south, downstream, and away from Beelzebub's land. This seemed an obvious choice to Ignorance, and he was expecting to come across a bridge at some point, perhaps one made of crystal or maybe a supernatural span of prismic light, but he came upon nothing of that sort and soon found himself back at the narrow way, which seemed to dead end at the river, much to his surprise. Ignorance continued south along the river's edge, the narrow way now at his back, hoping to come across some other way to ford it. Soon, though, twilight was upon him. He was just about to give up and bed down for the night when he happened upon a small shack and a man sitting inside of it, polishing a long wooden oar. Excuse me, sir, Ignorance said, waving to the man. I'm looking for a way across this river. The man glanced up, eyes twinkling. Are you now? Yes, I'm very near the end of an incredible adventure, and I now find myself facing this seemingly impassable... Uh, you've got a boat, don't you? That's why you're waxing this oar, I assume? The man smirked. It's a ferry, but folks have been known to call it a boat. He put down the oar and reached out his hand. Name's Vain Hope, and yes, getting people across the river is how I make my living. In fact, just 20 years of working as a ferryman has paid for all this. <laughs> he gestured at the little shack around him, chuckling to himself. Well, can you get me over safely? Ignorance asked. If you can pay, I'll see you across. Have you ever lost anyone? Vain Hope snuffed and puffed out his chest. Do you see me standing here? Ignorance just blinked at him. Son, I haven't lost a passenger, a trunk of treasure, or a sack of lunch in all my time at the helm. If anyone or anything I was carrying went over the side, I'd go in after it. And believe me, I've faced it all. High winds, horizontal rain, lightning and thunder, doesn't matter. I can make landfall and get you disembarked at my dock on the other side without a wasted foot of movement. In fact, I doubt there's any weather or any cargo in the world that could cause me to miss my mark much less capsize. Ignorance grinned and nodded. That's what I like to hear. So, how much do you charge? How much you got? Ignorance dumped his purse into his hand and looked down at the five coins, then up at Vain Hope. Well, what do you know? The ferryman said. That's exactly what I charge. And lucky for you, there's no need for money where you're headed. It's a deal, then. Ignorance handed over his last coins. When do we leave? First thing in the morning. Ignorance was surprised at how well he slept that night. Vain Hope's confidence and experience seemed to trump even the anxiety of soon standing before the King of Kings. They both rose early the next morning and shared a hearty breakfast of porridge and salted herring. They then boarded Vain Hope's simple ferry and began the voyage. The journey was quite easy, with such a skilled oarsman directing the way, and Ignorance felt sorry for the many people he saw struggling to cross the river on foot. 
He saw men and women disappearing beneath the surface, only to come back up a moment later, sputtering, arms flailing. He thought of offering aid to some of them, but decided this would be foolish. After all, if he let one person aboard, they might soon find themselves overrun and tipping under the weight of many. Besides, ignorance had paid for this ride, and these others had not. <laughs> I knew some men like these, ignorance said with a sad chuckle. They thought they were so wise and so righteous as they walked along the path, but look at all of these people now. Vain Hope chuckled as well and winked at his fare. True to his word, the ferryman docked on the far side of the river, having navigated a perfectly straight line across. He wished Ignorance well and shoved off once again, reversing course. Ignorance ran up the hill before him, jostling past men and angels alike until he was at the enormous city gate, its gold glimmering in the light. He was just a bit offended that it was not thrown wide at his very presence, but he swallowed his pride and knocked three times upon it. Two men he did not recognize peered down at him from atop the high wall on either side of the gate. Where do you come from? One of them asked. And where are you going? Ignorance laughed. You must be joking. I, I, I come from the town of Conceit, and my destination is uh, just the other side of this gate, if you would but open it. The other man, whose stern face glowed like a lantern, prompted, And that destination is... Why, the king himself, he is my destination. <laughs> if only he could hear you now. I mean, I've only eaten and drank in his presence, and he is taught in our streets. Trust me, fellas, he, he knows me. Do you have a certificate of entry, which we might send on to the Holy Throne? Oh, uh, um, ignorance fumbled about in his jacket and satchel. Hmm. I think... No, I, I do not have one, but just you know, be a good old man and tell him ignorance is at the gate, would you? The men summoned a shining one, who stood twice as tall as they did. From his hip hung a massive sword, the sheath of which glowed orange and red from the fiery weapon it contained. The man with the glowing face gestured down at ignorance and said, This one has no certificate, but is trying to invoke some right to enter the king's presence. I can hear you down here, Ignorance called up, and I won't need to enter his presence. When the king hears that I am at his gate, he will come down to me. You'll see. The Shining One departed with the message, and Ignorance plopped down on the ground, his back against the gate. He sat and watched the foot traffic of the place, and before long, his own vain hope began to flag as he saw pilgrim after pilgrim present a rolled document to the attendants at the gate and gain entry immediately afterward. He was in the midst of formulating an eloquent case for his own righteousness and his own entry when two shining ones approached him, grabbed him up roughly, and bound him hand and foot. Spreading their mighty wings, they carried him up into the air away from the gate and the city. What, where, where are you taking me? Ignorance demanded. Don't you know who I am? We do, came the answer. But our king tells us he never knew you, and we have been instructed to take you to the door in the side of the mountain, which opens a byway to hell. But I was at the heavenly 
gates, Ignorance protested. I was speaking highly of your king to the very last. How can you- Not all who speak highly of him belong to our king. And yes, you stood boldly at the city's entrance, but there is a way to hell from the gate of heaven, just as sure as there is from the city of destruction. Hi and Silver and Gut Check Media presents The Pilgrim's Progress From This World to That Which Is To Come John Bunyan's Timeless Christian Allegory As told by Zachary Bartles Chapter 23 Destination Christian and Hopeful were beyond joyful as they followed the narrow way through the easternmost parts of Be'ullah. Far from the point of light they once saw in the distance, the gleaming city now dominated their field of vision, shining with its own brightness and reflecting the sun upon its many surfaces of pure gold. As they walked, the two pilgrims took turns looking through the device Sincere had given them. Through it, they could make out massive columns of pearl, many domes and spires of gold, and precious stones embedded everywhere. And the beams shining back at them were not only natural light, rather the majesty of their great king shone through the whole place. It was mid-morning, while looking through the darkened glass, that Christian began to feel sick. His vision began to swim, and his knees grew weak. It was all he could do to push the glass into Hopeful's hands and lower himself roughly to the earth, lest he fall. Are you all right, Christian? Oh, my, my heart aches. I, I believe I am lovesick, overcome with desire. I don't, don't think I can bear it much longer. Well, there is only one cure for that. Hopeful said. We, we keep on moving, don't we? He reached down and took Christian's hand, but as he helped his brother to his feet, a wave of the same washed over Hopeful, and he doubled over, the two pilgrims holding each other up. If you, if you see my beloved, Hopeful said, tell him I am sick with love, said Christian. And leaning on each other, they hobbled on, afraid to look through the glass any more lest they exacerbate their symptoms. Over the course of several hours, though, they were strengthened, bit by bit, until they were able to bear their sickness well enough to travel once again at full speed, the longing now propelling them forward. The narrow way passed through orchards and vineyards and gardens, all of whose gates opened up to the highway. It was in the midst of these that they happened upon a man standing in the path with a spade in his hand. Christian could see that he was the gardener and tried to pass him by with only the briefest of hellos, but Hopeful came to a stop and asked, Sir, excuse me, whose vineyards and gardens are these? They're lovely. They belong to the king, the gardener answered. They have been planted here for his own pleasure and for the refreshment of his pilgrims. He took a step down a row of grapes and beckoned the pilgrims to follow, saying, Come, see. At the gardener's invitation, they followed him and ate until they were satisfied, marveling at the fullness of the flavor and the crispness of the fruit. The gardener then showed them the king's walkways and the arbor where he delighted to be. I have some things I need to attend to, 
the gardener said as they sat in the midst of soft ground and verdant trees. But feel free to tarry here and rest for a while. Some pilgrims find that they are still weary from their sleepless days on the enchanted ground, and believe me, there is no truer rest to be had this side of the city than right here. The two of them stretched out and closed their eyes. Before he knew it, Christian was waking up from a deeply refreshing nap. A few feet away, Hopeful still slept, talking in his sleep, a serene smile on his face. Christian could not make out all that he said, but here and there he picked up words like paradise, eternity, and Sabbath rest. Christian laughed to himself, and the sound roused Hopeful, who rubbed his eyes and said, oh, What's so funny? You, you were talking in your sleep, Christian said. I've never known you to do that the whole time we've traveled together. <laughs> so were you. In fact, I was kept awake for at least ten minutes at the sound of your sleep-talking. It is the nature of the grapes of these vineyards, said the gardener, coming back into the arbor. They go down so sweetly as to cause sleeping lips to speak. You have been dreaming for hours about untold pleasures and beauty, and you men are in an unusual position. Most awaken from pleasant dreams only to be disappointed that they were but dreams. However, you two can rise now and go live them out. At this, the pilgrims rose, stretched their limbs, and thanked the gardener profusely before running back down the walk to the narrow way. Again, they took turns peering through the glass at the grandeur of the place they were approaching. Before long, they met two men whose faces and clothes alike shined like gold. These men asked the pilgrims where they had come from and where they were going, where they had lodged, what dangers they had faced, and what comforts they had enjoyed. When they had related the main events of their pilgrimage thus far, the older of the two shining men said, You are very near your goal, and you will achieve it soon. If you overcome to the end, you have but two more difficulties to meet with, and then you are in the city. Would you men go with us? Hopeful asked. We will accompany you, the shining one answered, but you must obtain it through your own faith. The four of them walked together, and soon they crested a small hill and found themselves looking out at a great rushing river which stood between them and the celestial city. Christian and Hopeful stood speechless, standing where the narrow way came to an end and watching the river rage for a few minutes before Christian asked, Is, is there a bridge? Or... There is not. You must go through, or you cannot come to the gate. Christian shook his head. No, no, no. There, there must be some other way to get there. This, no. Yes, there is. But only two men have ever walked that path since the foundation of the world, and none shall do so again until the last trumpet sounds. It's okay, Hopeful said to himself as much as to Christian. We can just pass through. We can do it. Christian's eyes darted frantically this way and that. No, no, it's, it's too deep. It's too... Fast! Look at the rapids! It's... His breath was getting away from him. There must be some other way. You're, you two are just waiting to see how we respond, aren't you? This is a, it's like a, a test. It's a test! And if we say the right thing or we do the right thing, you'll show us how we might be whisked up to the king's presence without enduring this terrible trial. I assure you, it is no trick. You must pass through. 
Okay, well then it's, it's not really as deep as it seems, right? It's an illusion to test our faith. Tell me, how, how deep is it? You will find the water deeper or shallower depending on the strength of your faith in the king of this place. Hopeful placed his hand on Christian's shoulder and looked him square in the eye. Brother, you have been my guide and my rock from the chaotic debauchery of my hometown all the way to where we now stand at the cusp of our heavenly home. Your faith in our king has helped me to trust in him when I would have wavered or even fallen away. I have emulated you as you emulate our Lord. Now let me return the favor and strengthen you. Christian, the same God who brought the Israelites through the Red Sea and through the Jordan and who bid Peter walk upon the waves now bids us to pass through these waters before us. We have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Christian, I am going into that water now, but I do not want to go alone. Come with me. Christian nodded firmly and embraced his brother. Then, together, they walked down to the bank and waded in. Christian immediately began to sink. At first, he thought his armor might be to blame, but he could even now feel that it was buoyant, the only thing pulling him back up. Rather, it was his person that was dragging him down to the bottom like a rock. Help! 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 He cried out. The, the, The billows go over me! I'm undone! He was sputtering as he spoke, struggling to lift his face above water. Take take heart, Hopeful said. I I feel the bottom. It is good and solid. It is so deep. Christian spat through a lapping wave. It's it's hopeless. The sorrows of of death surround me and, and drag me to the depths. I will never see this city. As he spoke those words, a great darkness encompassed Christian, and a frigid horror washed over him. In that moment, the light from the city seemed entirely extinguished. He tried to think back to the comforts and promises of his pilgrimage, but he could only remember his sins, both before he began his journey and those along the way. He saw them passing before him, words of anger at his young sons, a favorable error overlooked on his ledger sheets, jealousy toward both faithful and hopeful, a glance of lust at Lady Daring on the road. Christian's heart felt cold, the lovesickness displaced now by a gripping fear. He knew that if he perished here, in this river, he would never enter into that blessed gate, and he knew this was what he deserved. But that was not the worst of it. Christian felt hands grip him around the ankles and jerk him down into the rushing river. Once beneath the surface, he saw visions of evil spirits, goblins and phantoms, all reaching for him with outstretched hands and jagged claws. And behind them all, he saw Apollyon, grinning at him triumphantly, once again slowly circling his prey. Lower and lower the pilgrim went, toward the river's bottom, his lungs burning, screaming for air. Then a strong hand grabbed his wrist from above and he felt hopeful pulling him upward. His face broke the surface just long enough to steal a ragged breath before the undertow and the creatures below drew him back down. Christian disappeared into the murky depths for what seemed like minutes before his friend managed to pull him once again above the water. 
By the look on Hopeful's face, Christian knew he must be a frightful sight, half dead and devoid of all hope. This continued for some time. Whenever he managed to keep Christian's head above water for a moment, Hopeful did his best to comfort him. Brother, he said, I, I see the gate. It's beautiful. And, and men standing by to receive us do not lose hope. It's all for you, Christian mumbled. Not for me. As long as I've known you, you've been, you've been, you've been hopeful. You've been hopeful. So have you, Hopeful shouted. No, brother, if, if you wanted me to make it, he would come to my aid right now. But instead, he draws me into a snare and leaves me here to, to perish. Hopeful hoisted Christian up onto his own back, wrapping his brother's limp arms around his neck. Christian, these troubles and terrors you undergo in these waters are no sign that God has forsaken you. Remember our Lord's promise that he would never leave you nor forsake you. Remember! He is, he is testing you to see whether you will call to mind all his goodness, the gifts that you have received, and the forgiveness of sins, and, and cling to him in your hour of distress. Christian, cling to him! Hopeful took another step and felt something beneath the surface pulling down on Christian so hard that it seemed the poor man might be torn in two. A moment later, he slipped off Hopeful's back, and the younger pilgrim again had to fight to keep his brother from disappearing. Take heart, for Jesus Christ makes you whole. I see, I see him. I see him. I see him. I see him. I, I hear him. He's speaking to me. He's telling me. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through rivers, they will not sweep you away. Oh, thank God, Hopeful whispered. Wait, shh, shh, shh. Christian hissed. You... Do you, you hear that? Hear what? Exactly. The enemy is as still as a stone. Christian stood and found the water rising only to his waist, just as it did on Hopeful. As they neared the far bank, they began to sing again the song he and Faithful had sung in the dungeon at Vanity Fair, and they were singing it still as they emerged from the river on the same side as the city. There they came face to face with the two shining ones who had accompanied them to the river's edge. One of them reached out his hand to help them from the water and said, We are ministering spirits sent forth to aid the heirs of salvation. Christian felt a flood of relief as he took a step onto dry land, and then he felt his sword fall away from his hip, followed by the shield and greaves, and he smiled at this. There was no need to fight here, no enemies about. One by one, each of these outward things either fell away or was drawn into his innermost being, just as promise had been. Glancing at his brother, he saw that Hopeful's mortal garments had likewise come off into the river. They stood, without shame, basking in the warm light emanating from the city, until the Shining Ones instructed them to approach the gate. Now, you should know that the city stood upon a mighty hill, and yet our pilgrims ascended it quickly, with ease, the Shining Ones leading them by their arms. 
The foundation of the city itself was far above the clouds. As they passed through them, the pilgrims could only think once again of the Israelites passing through the Red Sea by the power of the highest king. Further yet, they ascended through the region of the air, and their conversation continued, centered around the comfort they now had, having safely traversed the river and the glory that lay before them. The Shining Ones spoke sweetly, doing their best to describe the inexpressible glory of Mount Zion, the innumerable company of angels, and the spirits of just men and women made perfect. In the paradise of God, one of the Shining Ones said, you will see the tree of life and eat of its never-fading fruit, and you will walk and talk with the King for all eternity. Yes said the other, and there you shall see things you could have never conceived in the lower region upon the earth, and you will never again see or feel sorrow or sickness or suffering or death, for the former things are passed away. Tell me, what, what will we do there? Hopeful asked, his voice quavering with joy and anticipation. There you will receive your reward, comfort for all your toil, joy for all your sorrow, the fruit of all your prayers and tears and suffering for the king along the way. There you will wear crowns of gold which you will delight to throw at the Savior's feet, for your greatest delight will be to enjoy perpetual vision of the Holy One. And there we will serve him still, won't we? Christian asked. Yes, continually, and with shouts of praise and thanksgiving, you who desired to serve him in this world, even with great difficulty and infirm flesh, will serve him there with ease and happiness forever, alongside friends and companions who have gone before you, and you will have the honor of welcoming those who come after you. I hadn't even thought of that, Hopeful said, looking to Christian. We both loved welcoming pilgrims back at Beulah, how much more joyful to welcome them into paradise itself. The Shining One answered, And a greater joy yet, when the trumpet sounds, you will accompany the king upon the wings of the wind, and when he sits on the throne of judgment, you shall sit with him, as he passes sentence upon rebellious angels and men, his enemies and yours. And when he returns to the city, you shall be ever with him. They were now drawing toward the gate, and a company of the heavenly army came to meet them there. Their heavenly guide announced, These have loved our Lord when they were in the world. They left everything for his holy name, and we were sent to fetch them to stand before their Redeemer and receive their reward. The warriors responded with one voice, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The heavenly host parted, and four of the king's trumpeters, clothed in gleaming white, came forth, blasting powerful, melodious songs of victory and praise so loud that the heavens themselves echoed back the joyful noise. They saluted Christian and Hopeful, saying, Ten thousand welcomes from the celestial city, to which we now escort you. Quickly and silently, the heavenly host encompassed them, bringing them further into the upper regions, all the while praising the king. And then, in a moment, the clouds all burned away, and the pilgrims were looking straight into heaven itself. Christian felt a moment of panic as he realized he'd left his darkened glass behind in the river. 
But then he no longer needed it, for he and Hopeful were able to see the brightness of the city without lens or instrument, and its light did not make them so much as squint or shield their eyes. Rather, it seemed to open them up all the more to every bit of truth and glory and holiness found in their king, all of which permeated every inch of this place. The pilgrims felt the remnants of their sin natures burned away, and the sensation was warm and lovely and ten thousand times more satisfying than any earthly gratification could have ever been. Listen to those bells, Hopeful said. Only when he looked at Christian and saw the tears of joy streaming down his face did he realize that he too was weeping for happiness and monumental relief. I think they're ringing to welcome us. Indeed they are, declared the captain of the heavenly host. I keep thinking of the palace beautiful, Christian said. The brief moments there when I I felt a foretaste of this place, glimpses and whiffs of the sweetness and the glory and the peace, but always knowing that it was fleeting there, that the pilgrim road would, would bring us back into danger and toil and stretches of darkness. But now... But now... You will forever dwell in his company, beyond the reach of all evils. As they were now less than a bowshot from the gate, the pilgrims could read the inscription above it in letters of gold. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and they may enter the city by this gate. For just a moment, Christian thought of Atheist, who had mockingly asked what was written here, if only he could see it, or if Christian could even go back and tell him, then... He still would not believe, said the captain. He has the word and the testimony of all creation, and still he believes not. Even if a man were to rise from the dead and warn him, he would only harden his heart all the more. Do not turn your eyes back down to earth, good pilgrims, but up to the top of that gate. They obeyed, and there they saw Moses and Elijah gazing down at them. The captain called with a loud voice, These pilgrims are come from destruction and vanity for the love of our king. Do you have certificates? Elijah asked. They both provided the scrolls they'd been given at the place of deliverance, and these were taken into the city to be verified by the king himself. While they waited, Christian and Hopeful felt nothing but anticipation. Huh, it's odd, Christian said. The last time I found myself without that scroll, I was beside myself with anxiety. Now, as the all-seeing eye of our king examines it, I feel only comfort and excitement and what is to come. Hopeful grinned. As do I, Christian, as do I. A voice from above announced, The king has commanded us to open the gate and invite you in. As the full glory of the place hit the pilgrims, they felt themselves transfigured and dressed with raiment that shined like gold. Christian turned to Hopeful and wrapped his arms around his brother's neck. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for seeing me safely to this place, my friend. (laughs) And the same to you. Hopeful answered through tears. But... I see another here, whom I think we both need to thank. Hopeful broke off the embrace and pointed to a man smiling down at them from the top of a golden staircase, the water standing in his eyes. Faithful! Christian cried, running with a speed and lightness he had never known, until he practically tackled his friend. 
A second later, Hopeful collided with them both, laughing. <laughs> we have much catching up to do, Faithful said. But first, there's... Well, there's someone who wants to see you. Hopeful's hand went to his mouth. Is... is it? Yes. And he is far greater, far more loving, far more holy, far more powerful than we ever dared to dream. It is even somehow an understatement to say that he infinitely surpasses all of our hopes and expectations. They walked along a wide and easy road, paved with gold, passing many men and women with crowns on their heads and palms in their hands, all singing praise to the king. The two new arrivals and their brother pilgrim joined in the song, the words coming naturally to their lips, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. Faithful brought them up to a place where fantastical creatures floated in the air, chanting the same blessed words the crowds were singing, Holy, holy, holy. These creatures were covered with blinking eyes and beating wings, and the pilgrims would have gawked at them for ages, save for the fact that these heavenly beings surrounded the throne of the king. The moment they entered his presence, everything else faded to nothing. The king looked down at his pilgrims with pure, undefiled love and said, Christian, hopeful, I am so happy to see you. Epilogue. Christiana wore all black, as did her four boys. Their reddened eyes were downcast as she herded them silently into the house. She then followed after, reaching out to embrace one of them who slipped aside and disappeared down a narrow hall. The widow stood in the doorway, looking out onto the street, twilight dancing in her wet eyes. Her face began to twist up into the ugly sorrow of intense grief, but she twisted it all the harder, squeezing her eyes shut and shunting the sorrow back down her throat. With one rough motion, she wiped the tears from her face and shut the door. The street was still and silent for a beat before the two ill-favored ones emerged from the shadows, cruel smiles upon their wicked faces. They approached Christiana's door with a palpable sense of raw anticipation. Now, to secure our prize, the stouter of the two said. Secure it? <laughs> the work is done. We only need to collect. <laughs> He snickered darkly for the space of a few steps. Then they both froze in their tracks, eyes fixed on the shining one coming up the road from the other direction. In one hand, he held a document, bound not with a ribbon, but with the seal of the great king. The two ill-favored ones could only stand and quake. The heavenly warrior seemed to meet the gaze of both men at once, his own eyes dancing with yellow flames, which seemed to challenge these foes, even as the corner of his mouth curled up in a wry smile. He placed his hand casually upon the hilt of his glowing sword. The ill-favored ones began to slowly back away. After a few unsteady steps, they turned and melted back into the shadows. The shining one smiled broadly, 
and ascended the three steps to Christiana's front door, letter in hand. Thank you so much for listening to Season 1 of High in Silver Presents the Pilgrim's Progress. There is yet one more Pilgrim's Digress coming your way, but I know not everyone listens to those, so I did want to take a moment just to implore you not to unsubscribe from this podcast if you've enjoyed it. After a hiatus, Season 2 will be coming, and I don't think you're going to want to miss it. And in the meantime, there will also be some other episodes to listen to, uh, starting with an interview with an expert on Spurgeon talking about his deep love for the Pilgrim's Progress. And especially if you are one of our patrons, do not unsubscribe from the feed. We're going to have a lot of stuff coming your way, including a copy of the forthcoming paperback book, which collects together all of season one uh, into one volume. So again, thank you for listening and stay on the narrow road. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrims progress and or take two minutes to leave an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. The Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which Is to Come, adapted by Zachary Bartles from John Bunyan's classic manuscript. This text, copyright 2022, Zachary Bartles. This recording, copyright 2023, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Additional sound effects and music licensed from Pond5.com and Audio Micro. For more engaging audio fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com audio. and silver. Got to get it.